Well, let me invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. I wasn't here last week. I think uh, Pastor Dave was preaching. How'd he do? Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's a good thing to hear. Thank you. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to his message uh, yet, so uh, I'll do that this week. I'm going to invite you to stand. Mark chapter 4. And we're going to begin here with verse 1, and I'll read down through verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. May God add this blessing to his word. You can be seated. Now, we're on the other side of Easter just by a couple of weeks, and I want to remind you that the resurrected Jesus, after 40 days, took the disciples to the Mount of Olives, and he gave them a final word of instruction. He says to them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. In other words, when you get up out of your grave, you can say that. You're in charge. You can say whatever you want. And so to be clear, Jesus at this moment has all authority. He is in charge, and what he is about to say is not a suggestion. It's not a brainstorming idea. This is what followers of Jesus will do. And so he says to his followers, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And then he says this, and truly, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if if you've been in the church for, for years, you probably know that this is what we call the Great Commission. Go to the nations and make disciples. And so I want to take the next couple of weeks and talk about this commission. I want to focus, however, on this word commission and highlight really the, the, just the first syllable, the idea that it is a co-mission, meaning that we are on mission together. We are mission together with. Now, who are we with? Well, Jesus told us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, when we take Jesus' instruction seriously to go and make disciples, he's going to be there with us. He's going to help us. In fact, it's actually going to be him doing the work. We just partner with him. When he ascended into heaven, you'll remember he said he would send the Holy Spirit. 
And so this is very, very important. The Holy Spirit, as a Christian, comes to live within us. And so while we often get excited about that fact that that God wants to work through us, we need to understand this truth, that he also wants to do something in us. Now that's important. Because I think we all like the idea that God can use this. We all are kind of excited about the fact that God could, could do something through us. In fact, maybe your prayer is often, God use me. Lord, I want to to be a difference maker. I don't want to just take up space on this earth. Use my life for impact. And that's good. But what we see scripturally, and I think what many of us know experientially, is that we can't expect for God to do something through us until we first allow him to do something in us. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Now, Back to the parable, back to this parable of the sower. It's a pretty famous parable. Matthew and Luke also give us this parable. And Jesus, we see here, is talking to a multitude. The multitude is so great that he's forced to get out on a boat and and preach from the Sea of Galilee. And he tells them this story of a sower planting seeds in the ground. I took some time off uh, this past week just to basically do some work around the house and one of my projects was to uh, trying to fill in the bare spots in, in my yard. Probably you've done the same thing recently, but I ended up planting quite a bit of grass seed. Now, some of you know I grew up on a farm, but I would have never made a good farmer. And one of the reasons is because I don't have the patience for it. I realized even after planting the seed, I'd go out every day and look at it. and Where is it? What's happening? Why isn't there something going on? Has it sprouted yet? I just don't have the patience. Every day I'm going out there, and, and I'm thinking, I just, I just don't know. And, and that's the problem, isn't it? Once that seed is buried, it's in the ground. You hope something is going on, but you just can't tell. And it occurred to me, you know, there are many places around here where at certain times of the year, You can go, and they will take your money, and they'll give you a basket and let you loose. You know what I'm talking about. You can go and pick strawberries or find a pumpkin, or they'll let you pick some apples. And they'll take your money, and we think, oh, what fun, as we go out and harvest, and we we collect, and, and that's the fun part. But it occurred to me, you know what you will never see? You will never see someone say, pay me and I'll give you a rake and a hoe and you go out there and plant these seeds. You, you pay me money and I'll let you go out and plant. It'll be fun. That's never going to happen, is it? It's never going to happen. Why? Because the fun part is the harvest. Yet if you never plant, if you never cultivate, you never get to the harvest. Now, this is my point. Listen, a lot of us like the idea that God could use us. That's fine. That's the fun part. We want to do and see God do something through us. But this idea that God has to bury his seed in our lives and we may have to wait for it to work, well, that's hard. Because in our culture, we're used to right now. If we want to harvest, we go to the store and get it. But listen, when it comes to spiritual growth in our lives, that's often not how it works. And by the way, that's why some of you are frustrated 
The truth is God has planted a seed in your life, and it's been there maybe quite a while, and you're starting to wonder, is there ever going to be a harvest? When is this seed going to develop and take root, and and when am I going to see some of the fruit from this? First, I'd like to remind you how a harvest works. This is consistent with Scripture. Abraham wanted a harvest. He's going to wait, however, until he's 100 years old before he gets to be the father of a great nation. He's going to wait a long while. Moses wanted a harvest. He was ready to be used by God to rescue his people. But it wasn't going to happen right then. He'd have to wait 40 years in the desert working for his father-in-law before he'd get the chance. David, you'll remember, was anointed king. But wonderful, you say, but if you remember the story of David, you'll remember that it took decades for him. While he was being chased around by King Saul, who was trying to murder him, for him ever to eventually see the throne of Israel. Joseph, he had a dream, but it had to germinate when he's forced into slavery and then spent years in prison before God showed the harvest. We want God to work through us, but what we have to know is is that first, God needs to do something in us. And so the prayer I've been praying in these days is this. God, what do you want to do in me so that you can accomplish your purpose through my life? God, what do you want to do in me so that you can accomplish your purpose through me? Because God is the one who ultimately brings about the harvest. God is the one who causes the seeds to grow. God is the one who provides the harvest, and and you can't hurry it. We just need to remember the truth, Philippians 1, that says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so when the seed is in the ground, we can be confident that God is at work. Now, from what I can tell in this story, that this is the only parable, it seems to me, where Jesus actually uh, explains it himself. He doesn't often do that, but he explains the parable. Just a little bit later in this passage, he sits down with his disciples and he unpacks it for them and with them. I'll I'll read that uh, uh, beginning with verse 13. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word... They quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. You know, I really played around with the idea that uh, I would read this passage and reading simply Jesus' explanation of the parable, I'd say, okay, folks, we're done. You got it. You're done. Because I thought, you know, how can I improve upon what Jesus said? 
And the truth is, I can't. But then I realize that uh, some of you might feel shortchanged and wonder why the, we're paying me a salary. So I thought, well, let's, let's uh, spend a little more time with this passage. But it is interesting to me. As you look at the different accounts of this parable, in Matthew's account, Jesus, when he explains this parable, it's clear that Jesus is the farmer. Jesus is the farmer, and his word is the seed, and we are the soil. Now, I think that's kind of interesting, because a lot of times when we look at this parable, we think of ourselves as the farmer. We're going out, we're spreading the gospel, we're spreading the word, and other people are the soil. But I want you to notice that that is not how Jesus applies this. No, he says that he is the sower, we are the soil. So this parable is not so much about what God wants to do through me. Jesus here is putting the emphasis on what God wants to do in me. So what arises is, is a very personal question. The question is this, what's the condition of the soil in my life? When I hear God's word, when it's planted in me, when those seeds are scattered for me, how is it taking root? And a lot of us, we can, we can see this, how, how it plays out in other people's lives. In other words, we have a pretty good idea about the soil condition of our spouse, we know what the soil condition of my husband is or my wife. We know the soil condition of my neighbor or my coworker. We know the soil condition of, of, of a friend or our, one of our children. But for many of us, we don't have a very good understanding of the condition of our own soil. Another way to put this is, how's your heart? Do you know the condition of your heart? Joe Krakauer wrote a bestseller called Into Thin Air. And, and in the book, he recounts various stories of the challenges and struggles of people who have climbed Mount Everest. Interesting book. In one of the chapters, he tells about a man named Andy Harris who led a group of climbers to the peak. So this guy is the leader, is the first guy up. The other climbers arrive behind him, and then they make the decision to start their way back down. But Andy elects to stay up a little bit longer. So he's the first guy up, he's the last guy down. But on the way down, he became in dire need of oxygen. So he radioed to the other climbers, who by this point have already come to base camp, and he says, look, I, I need oxygen. Well, the other climbers knew that they had left Andy plenty of several canisters of, of oxygen. So they tell him, Andy, do you, do you see the canisters we left with you? Andy, they're right there. And Andy says, yeah, they're right here. They're, they're right in front of me. Well, those canisters are full of oxygen, Andy. No, he says they're empty. Andy, no, they're full. They're full. Try them. They're full. And he says, I'm not going to try it. I know they're empty. And so this bizarre argument occurs between the climbers and Andy as they try to convince him, they try to beg him to use the containers. Yet Andy refuses. I'm not going to do it. I know they're empty. 
His oxygen had become so low that obviously he wasn't clearly thinking. He was missing what was right in front of him because of what he was missing in him. And he died on that mountain for a lack of oxygen. When there were full oxygen canisters right there. Listen, my point is we can have an easy time discovering and thinking about the soil of other people, but often we have a much more difficult time identifying what is going on right inside of us. So I ask you today, how's your heart? Jesus gives us four different examples of soil. He starts out with the soil on the path. You can imagine this. This is where people walk, and over time, the path just becomes hard and dry. In Matthew's explanation, Jesus says, There are those who have closed their ears and shut their eyes and have hardened their hearts. And so this is a a, a kind of heart. It's a hard heart that Jesus is talking about. And the challenge of a hard heart is a that a hard heart doesn't recognize its hardness. That's the big problem with a hard heart. It doesn't always know it's hard. So so maybe it would be helpful this morning to talk about what a hard heart looks like. And I'll just give you some symptoms, some examples that I've come up with. You probably can come up with more. But I think one of the examples of a hard heart is a person who shows up to church and just goes through the motions, the motions of religion, but really has no idea of relationship. This this person perhaps comes to church, but but it really wasn't necessarily their idea. You came because you were expected to come. You You came because it would keep the peace in the house. You didn't really want to come, and frankly, right now, you'd be glad if I said amen, and we just headed out for the day. You sit, you stand, but you're not engaged. We sing the songs of worship, but it's not worship to you. It's just noise and music and time. And so while you sit there, maybe you listen a little, but you rarely really hear, and you're thinking about the to-do list of this afternoon. You're going through the motions, and you've done it for a long time. So the person who has a hard heart is very often just spiritually apathetic. They don't care. Truth is, you, you don't care. It's, it's really not that you don't have time to, to pray. I mean, you have time for Facebook, or you have time to watch a three-hour Avenger movie. But you just don't really care to read your Bible. You don't care about where you stand with God. I think another symptom of a hard heart is what I would call a stubborn resistance. This is where you know that God has spoken to you about certain things in your life. And he says, I think this needs to change. I I, I want there to be a difference. You know it and you've known it for some time, but you refuse. You refuse to submit. You refuse to surrender. This idea of, of changing, of repenting, of doing it different, the, the longer you live that way, the harder your heart becomes. 
The, the longer you live with this conviction without taking any kind of action, the harder your heart becomes. You think, well, maybe someday I'll get around to it. But it's, it's less likely, in fact, that, that your heart will soften the further you go down that path. And so be careful of the hard heart. I think a, another symptom is bitter resentment. I've seen this. There's an anger, and, and a lot of times this is just angry. You're angry with God because of something that you've gone through. You don't want to hear about the goodness of God because you're convinced he hasn't been good to you. Maybe your parents split up as a young person or someone you loved died of cancer. You lost your job or you gave your heart to someone and they broke it. You thought by now you'd be married, but it's never happened. And so life has just trampled you down again and again, and the soil of your heart is hard. So you don't feel love for God because you're not convinced he really loves you. And so your heart is hard. How's your heart? I'll just give you one more example. I think some people have hard hearts when maybe they listen to the message and they, they even hear God's word. And they all get out of it, uh, all they get out of it is figuring out who else really needed to hear that. In other words, you're, you're constantly, when, when the preacher's going on or you're thinking about a devotional, you're thinking of other people who needed to hear that message. You never consider that, that maybe the message is for you. It, it, it's almost a self-righteousness where you never take the time to humbly reflect, what does this word mean for me? How does it impact my relationship with God? It never occurs to you that, that when the preacher talks about being generous, that maybe that message is for you. Or, or when the message is about forgiveness, that, that message is for you. Oh, you know exactly the person who needed to hear that message. Boy, that was great for Uncle Fred to hear, but... But you have a hard heart, and maybe you don't even know it. Jesus goes on. He, he mentions the rocky places, and I'm not going to spend much time here, but what you see is, is that the seed is sown, and immediately it's received with joy. There's a sense of emotion involved with this, but, but there, the truth is there's, there's no depth. It never gets nurtured. I, I, I see this when I think of maybe someone who maybe comes to church once or twice a month, but they never really grow. And, and what happens is you face a little discouragement or something else comes along or there's a little opposition and the seed just withers up. The conditions change. The sun, as Jesus says, begins to beat down and it exposes the fact that there really was never a root system. It's just so very shallow. And so what happens is it eventually dies, and there's never any fruit. And then thirdly, Jesus mentions seed that falls among the thorns. In other words, there is seed planted, but the problem is there are other seeds that are planted there too. This is where the word is received, but it's in a field that is full of weeds, and as a result, it gets choked out. The harvest never comes. And Jesus mentions here three different kinds of weeds. He mentions the worries of life. 
the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. Jesus says that there are seeds that have been sown, and yet if there are other seeds there as well, weeds, thorns, they're going to take over. They'll always take precedence. And what we learn here is whatever we desire, whatever we are passionately pursuing, that is what we are planting in our lives. Eventually, what, is going to, what we plant is going to come to the surface. And it is so easy to plant weeds. I was thinking of this as an example. Every day in our culture, we seem to be shocked as we read about a new sexual harassment story. Maybe it's out of Hollywood or it's in government. Maybe, and very tragically, it's from the church itself. But what surprises me is that in a lot of these stories is how surprised everyone seems to be that these things take place. I mean, when you think about it, when so much of our entertainment and our movies and our music objectifies women, why are we so surprised then when women are objectified? When, when so much of the seed that gets planted in people's heads and hearts, just about the casualness of sex, then why should we be surprised when people treat sex casually? What you plant is going to come to the surface. It's how it works. And whatever you are passionately pursuing is what you're planning. Listen, if you're planting God's word in your heart, but then you're planting weeds alongside, it's not going to end well. So listen this morning. Listen, if you come this morning and you hear God's word, but tonight you're watching Game of Thrones, the most pornographic show on television these days, what do you think is going to win? So what are you pursuing? Your calendar tells the story. Your credit card statement tells the story. Your browsing history, your Netflix history, they tell the story. What are you pursuing? What are you planting? How's your heart? And then lastly, Jesus speaks of the good soil. And this good soil, of course, represents those who receive God's word and put it into practice it represents a responsive heart. And so he uses this agricultural metaphor, and he says, look, it's like this seed, and it's buried in the good soil, and it bears a harvest. Listen, the seed does its work. It does what it's supposed to do when it's in good soil. The conditions are right, are right and life is the result. You know, I found this scripture, and I started meditating on it this uh, last couple of days. Philippians 2.13, he says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. I just felt that to be such a beautiful promise. God is working in you. God wants to work in you. It's happening right now. The question is, what's the soil like? Now, here's the thing. 
you have an impact on the soil, your soil. You can work on the soil. God's going to produce the harvest. He scatters the seed. But you can do something about the soil. And right now, I suspect in this room, there's a civil war going on in some of you where you've done some certain, certain things a certain way, and God is saying, listen, this needs to change. This needs to be different. I, I want to do things differently. God's working in you. He's calling to you. God wants to fulfill his purpose in you and through you. And so my challenge for us this week is to be the kind of people who are willing to pray a very simple pray a very simple prayer. God, what do you want to do in me today? God, what do you want to do in me today? Because whatever you want is what I want. Now, that sounds like a simple prayer, but it's dangerous. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. God, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you that even right now you are casting seeds and that you don't give up on us. I know that that's what you've done for some people who are sitting in this room right now. You're once again throwing a seed out. And I pray that, God, our hearts would receive it. And, Lord, I'm very cognizant as a pastor that it might be three out of four that don't receive it. But, Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would break up the soil. Would you break up the soil of our hearts and soften them and open our ears and our eyes to what you want to do in us so that, Lord, you would produce a harvest a beautiful, beautiful, great harvest of fruitfulness in our lives and in this community. Let us receive what you want to do in us so that you can fully accomplish what it is you want to do through us. Scatter your seed right now, Lord. We not be content and go through the motions. May we not be content just to receive it with a shallow joy and then walk out of here but never experience real change. Lord, in those areas where you're calling us to live differently, I pray that we would have the courage to repent and be changed so that, Lord, your gospel can have its full effect in our lives and we would bear fruit a multiplying effect of 30, 60, and 100 times. Bear your fruit in our lives, Lord. We're your servants. We're waiting. We're hearing. We're listening. Open our eyes. Soften our hearts. To your spirit, I pray. Amen.